Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Anybody here ever needed forgiveness? I'm gonna invite you to turn to Luke chapter seven, and we're gonna be looking at verses 36 through 50. Uh, we've been in this series, as we began the year, we were talking about prayer and reconnecting to a deep and meaningful conversational life with God. And then we go in and we talk about the role and the importance of the Holy Spirit to revitalize us from the inside out. But I've been thinking, and one of the things, not just that at times we lack gratitude, something that we talked about last week, it's a lost virtue, but one of the things that it seems to me that we're not very good at, at least as a whole, and I'm not talking about necessarily you in particular, but just as a whole, is we're not very good with forgiveness. Is that fair? Uh, Don Henley uh, wrote a song called The Heart of the Matter, and in it, you know, he said, we all need a little tenderness. How can love survive in such a graceless age? And I was thinking on that line this week because it really resonated with me. We kind of live in a graceless age. Is that fair to say? You think about... Uh, the role of social media. And it's like when somebody makes a mistake, we love to just rail on them because we have found their flaw. And we like to cancel them out rather than maybe forgive or even try to restore. We live in a graceless age. Would you agree with me on that? Well, I think there's a better way of living. And I think that you find when you open scripture, you get this modeled in Jesus that there's just another way. And one of the things that I would hope is, is at least for us, who we are known as a church, is that we would be known as people that are graceful and gracious, and in large part because Jesus has been very gracious to us. And that we would just follow his lead and his example. And so I thought we would do well to talk a little bit about the doctrine of forgiveness. There was a button in a tourist shop that I saw that said to err is human and to forgive is out of the question. I thought that might resonate really well with the spirit of the age. Some of you might have read Martin Luther. Uh, he was the great Protestant uh, reformer. He is the one that kind of led the split from the Catholic church and there was a number of reasons for that for him one of which was his tower experience where he had locked himself literally in a tower. And as he was reading the book of Romans and he got to Romans 1, 16 and 17, he said everything became clear to him at that point. And the whole idea of grace just overwhelmed him. But what you may not know about him is that he was basically a monk. He was very active in the church. He wasn't trying to divide the church. He wanted to see reform in the church. They weren't necessarily fired up about the possibility of reform in the church. And he said, then I think I need to go another way. But if you look into his life, Martin Luther was a guy that really struggled with the weight of sin in his life. He just struggled with it. Uh, and that's why when you look at the Apostles' Creed, he said that he believed that the forgiveness of sins was the most important article in the creed. He, here was what he said. He said, if this is not true, what does it matter whether God is almighty or Jesus Christ was born and died and rose again? It is because these things have a bearing upon my forgiveness that they're important to me. And on the one hand, I read that and I thought, well, that seems a little bit self-centered. But on the other hand, Luther, who had been a Catholic monk, he had struggled with sin and guilt. And he wanted to know what it was like to be released from that. 
if you've ever really been under the weight of the conviction of sin, you can probably resonate with the way that he felt because I've been there myself. Here's what he said, or here's what was said of him, excuse me. Before his break with the Catholic Church, he went to confession every day, every day. And he was so guilt-ridden by sin, he would have gone every hour. Who's got time for that, I wondered. Whether he slept well, he even felt guilty about that. Thinking, quote, here I am, sinful, having had a good night's sleep. I read that and I was like, all right, dude. I mean, come on, lighten up. But he was feeling the weight of everything. And uh, so the next morning after, he would confess a good night's rest. And one day there was an older priest that he would always go to for confession. And eventually even the priest had had enough of it. Like the priest was worn out from this dude. And he said, at least by, by what's been reported, he said, Martin, either find a new sin and commit it or quit coming to me. I mean, that's how worn out this dude was with him. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite thinkers, and I think he's certainly right about this. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Like, we like the idea of being forgiven. We don't necessarily like the idea of having to forgive. Let's think about that. In October of 2006, there was a gunman that took hostages in a one-room Amish schoolhouse. Some of you might remember this. That was in Pennsylvania. He ended up shooting 10 children that were ranging in the ages of seven to 13. Five of them died, and then he took his own life. Within hours, and this is what really struck the conscience of the national media, within hours, the Amish community went to the home of the parents of the one that had killed their children so that they could express their grief and their loss and that they had forgiven him for what he had done within hours. That stands, I think, in a pretty stark contrast of wanting to get revenge for a wrong that has been done. Does that seem fair? And their, their, their example, uh, to, to say that it caught the attention of the national media is an understatement. And most people were looking at what the Amish had done and they were like, like, how do you do something like that? This guy just murdered your own people. Maybe it's because most people don't have a very deep or meaningful sense of what it means to actually forgive someone. That's why I think we need to talk about it. There's some things to think about with forgiveness, and, and I want to give you some preliminary ideas here, because I think some people look at the idea of forgiveness, and well, there's some misconceptions that they may have. For example, many people committed to justice value forgiveness, but others worry that if you forgive somebody, you're actually letting them off the hook. How many of you would say, yeah, I felt like that before? Like if I forgive, then they're off the hook. But forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences to the choices that you make. I mean, if you think about it, Adam and Eve, the fall occurs in Genesis chapter three. We're still living in the consequences of that decision today. So simply because there can be the forgiveness of sins doesn't mean you're not dealing with the sin that has been done. One doesn't mean the other. Perhaps you have forgiven someone who shared something that you shared with them that you didn't want them to share with somebody else. Has that ever happened to anybody in the room? So you're talking, you're spilling your guts to them, and then they go, and well, they're a little bit loose with their tongue, and they out with your story, and then you get really bothered by it. 
and you forgive them for it. But maybe in your heart you're sitting there going, I forgive you, but I don't know that I'm gonna be letting you in on my deepest secrets next time. Ever felt like that before? It's fair. R.T. Kendall uh, wrote a book on forgiveness and he shared a story of a woman that he had ministered to. She had been sexually assaulted and she forgave the, one, the man that did it to her. But this was why R.T. Kendall brought it up. As he says, it wasn't that she just forgave, she was also the one that testified against him in the court of law. And the reason that she did it, as she said, is she wanted him to not be able to do the same thing again. What it didn't mean is that her forgiveness was any less real, it's that she was actually allowing him to live out the consequences of the choice that he had made. And we can sometimes kind of feel that tension, but forgiveness doesn't mean no consequences. Here's another thing. One of the reasons that we need to forgive, Tim Keller is right, is it's simple fairness. It is simple fairness. Now I want you to think of somebody right now that has wronged you. I'm gonna give you a second. Did you think of somebody? Have you forgiven them? Tim Keller, when he says it's a matter of simple fairness, he said, we owe it to others to forgive because we have all needed forgiveness ourselves. And so we owe it. Uh, what it is that has been given to us in kindness, we need to return in kindness. And I think he's right. There are a couple of other things about forgiveness that matter. There, there has to be a recognition that forgiveness does not contradict the pursuit of justice. Instead, it's a condition of it. When you think about it, Forgiving is not excusing. To forgive something, you have to call the evil what it is. You have to recognize that what's been done is actually wrong. The pursuit of justice and the speaking of truth are absolutely necessary. But if you don't internally forgive wrongdoers, if you don't give up your quest to pay them back and make them suffer like they've made you suffer, you're not really seeking justice, you're seeking vengeance. And there's a big difference between the two. So keep that in mind. And then there has to be a commitment to renounce revenge and bear the cost of forgiveness. And that's the part, honestly, that we don't like, is that in order, somebody has wronged us and the very act of, of forgiving them is giving something to them that they don't deserve. But isn't that what Jesus did for us? He gave us something that we don't deserve. When you think about it, Forgiveness is given before it is felt. It is not felt and then given. It is a commitment to not constantly bringing up the wrongs to the wrongdoers to punish them or, or to others or to try to ruin their reputation or just to ruin them. Constant reliving the incident. Anybody done that before? Don't raise your hand. But here you are four years later and you're like, you know what really grinds my gears? In the fall of 2015, I mean, at what point do you sit there and go, let it go, right? Let it go. But if that is a characteristic of you, it is also a characteristic of an unforgiving spirit that dwells in you. And as one New Testament scholar was saying, he said, can you think of anything that stands in a more stark contrast to Jesus than that kind of spirit? Now that said, forgiving is tough. Is that fair? Forgiving is tough. People will fail you. I will fail you. But forgiveness is what should naturally flow from a heart that is filled with grace. So here's this story that I wanna share. 
in Luke's gospel. And that's why I said I want you to turn to Luke chapter seven. And we're gonna start reading in verse 36. It's a pretty great story. Here's the way it goes. It says, one of the Pharisees invited him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in town who was a sinner, don't you love that it includes that line? Right? There was a woman that was a sinner. She found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, by the way, he's a little snarky here, so I'm giving a little bit of oomph to it. This man, like if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. He probably shouldn't have said that because Jesus is gonna say it. He's like, okay. Now he tells a story here. He says a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they couldn't pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one that he forgave more. And he says, you judged it correctly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I mean, obviously Simon did because he's already been snarky, right? You see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man that even forgives sins? Now that reaction, just so you know, is because they understood very well the Pharisees are the ones around the table. Who is it that actually has the authority to forgive sins? And the answer is none other than God. So in this moment, Jesus is doing some forgiving and they're like, whoa, whoa, who do you think you are? Of course, Jesus is like, well, I know who I am and you're just watching it all go down. And then he says this to the woman. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Religious leaders, wow. Especially in Jesus' day. What they would do, there's kind of a common practice, and if you don't get it, you won't get what's happening here. Religious leaders in Jesus' day, they would form societies where men, and it was pretty much always the men, they would sit in the evenings, they would eat meals, they would debate theology. There were also a lot of Jewish people who lived in the, like the margins. They didn't live according to the law. And they would be rejected by these people as sinners. Notice they didn't reject themselves as sinners. They just rejected these people as sinners. And in the parable of what's called the two debtors, the one that we just read, Simon, who is a Pharisee, he invites Jesus to dinner at his house. Now, there are certain rules that you just know. There were kind of cultural things that you would do when you opened up your home to somebody. You say, hey, come over to my house. I'm gonna give you some snacks. There were three rituals, and you actually kind of got a snapshot of it when we were reading it. There was a kiss of greeting, 
washing of feet and anointing with oil, like the stuff we do here right now. So Simon, the Pharisee, he's hosting this dinner party. The dinner, just so you know, it would have been held kind of outside in a court, courtyard, kind of right outside of Simon's home. And it was, uh, it was customary that when you would bring a rabbi in, and notice they called Jesus teacher, a rabbi, what you would do is you would honor them. You would show them deference. You would show them respect. And you would do it very publicly. And Jesus is coming in. What you have to imagine is there's this kind of this low-lying table and the people, and those they said they came and they reclined at the table. And what they would do is they would come in and they would recline with their head toward the table and their feet away from the table. That's not very hard to understand why, right? Your feet are away from the food. So they lay in and they're starting to eat and they're starting to drink wine and they're starting to talk about theology. This is what's going on. But since it's out in a courtyard, it's also a public space. So people can kind of come by, listen to the people that were talking about things. They can listen in. And that was the woman's in. You get it? That was how it was that she could show up. So why did they have these customs? Well, notice right off the bat when we read it, Jesus calls Simon out for not honoring them. Did you catch that? You, you, didn't, you invited me here and you did nothing for me. So right off the bat, you get, you get Simon's heart. He brought Jesus there to shame him publicly and to dishonor him publicly. I will not even extend to you the social customs of respect. But then there's this woman, a sinner. And what did she do? She gave him every respect that the supposed religious leaders refused to give. So what you would do is you would kiss the guest I don't know how many of y'all do that, but whatever. Uh, maybe what we do is shake hands, something like that, uh, or give them a hug, or, you know, it's just a greeting. But imagine a guest coming to your home, offering their hand, and you're just like, and you walk away. That would be basically what he did. You would offer them perfume or an oil. The reason is, go over to the Middle East sometime. A lot of times your skin, it gets chapped, it gets really dry. The oils were basically an act of kindness to a guest in your home. We might offer guests something to drink, to refresh them, maybe because it's 107 degrees outside, and they walk to your house that day. Imagine a guest arriving at your home on a hot Texas summer day, and they're like, golly, man, I am, like, I am thirsty. And they're like, well, you know. That's basically what he just did to Jesus. Or the other thing that they would do is wash their feet. Much like what happens to me when I get home every day. Welcome back. We missed you. I'm kidding. So the roads, they were dirty. People wore sandals. Your feet were grubby and nasty. And it was just an act of kindness. Would you like, basically, would you like to wash up, except in an act of service, you would do it for them. So imagine a guest coming into your home and saying, hey, I was, I was wearing my, uh, my uh, sandals, got a little grubby. Is it, would you mind if I washed up? And you're like, yeah, it's not gonna happen either. This is what this guy was doing. So in every possible way that he could show Jesus disrespect, he was showing him disrespect. Now, to Jesus' credit, do you see what he did? I'm still hanging out. In spite of, of this, I'm still gonna be hanging out. Simon didn't do any of it. He set him up for social shame. But what did the woman do? She honored him. She honored him. 
even though she was being called out for who she was. And by the way, this was very public. When it says that she was a sinner, just so you know, the verb implies that she was actively known in the community as a sinner. And we can even get some sort of picture of the kind of sinner that she was. It was very likely sexual activity of some sort. Now I know you're wondering, how do you know that? And the answer is, is in the text, notice what it said, she let her hair down, which to them, that was usually and almost always only done by a prostitute. So you've got a prostitute that walks into the ranks, shows Jesus the respect that the religious people never did. She has her hair down, which identifies her as who she is, and she goes to Jesus exactly as she is. She's not hiding this from the people that are around. Are you catching that? She's not doing it. She's walking right up in front, showing him respect, and saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. And as the, as the event unfolds, you think about it, Jesus tells the parable, the two debtors. One is, he's forgiven about a month's wage. That's about 50 denarii. The other is 500. That's about a year and a half's wage. Pretty good. And you're like, well, who's forgiven more? He's like, well, the guy's forgiven like a ton. And you're like, yeah, you actually got that right. But notice what it is. The woman who's supposed to be a sinner has acted more graciously than any of the supposed righteous men that are sitting around the table. And then Jesus announces to her, he says, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. It's important to understand something. She wasn't forgiven because of anything that she had done. But because Jesus had said this in 750, he said, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's another way of understanding it. That word peace, go in safety. Uh, there wasn't anybody in that room trying to provide this woman safety. Do you know who she is? Yes, yes. Go in safety, go in health, go in fullness. Go in peace, go in peace. I, I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said, forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act, it means rather that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. That's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness isn't the end, forgiveness is the beginning. Now, a little bit ago, I said I'm gonna give you a second, and is there somebody that's done something that's been wrong to you? And have you given them forgiveness? I'm gonna turn it a little bit. Have you done something wrong to someone? Have you asked for forgiveness? See, we're, we're, if we're not careful, we're a lot like the religious folk that had gathered around the table with Jesus. And we really need to be coming with the spirit of the prostitute. She wasn't hiding who she is, but was firmly convinced that if she just came to him and said, Forgive me, his answer would be, I will. And he did. That's what grace and faith will do. We, we have this promise. If you look at Ephesians 1, 7, it says, in him, that is Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. And by the way, there is no limit to the riches of God's grace. Earlier I pointed out that forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences for what we are forgiven for. And this, I think, helps understand why the cross is so important to us. 
Some years ago, I think this goes back to, two, I was trying to remember the year, I think this goes back to 2007. It was my first time to go to Israel. If you've never gone to Israel, do it. It's amazing, and I love going back. But I remember I'm standing in Jerusalem, and I'm having a conversation with a rabbi. The rabbi's name is Moshe. And Moshe and I just had, we had the best conversation with each other. And I'm sitting, he actually owned his own shop. He actually made Wendy um, a necklace, just beautiful. But I remember sitting in the shop with Moshe and he asked this question to me. He says, here's what I don't understand about, about Christians. Why does somebody have to die on a cross for somebody to forgive somebody for their sins? Why can't God just forgive me? Have you ever wondered that before? Am I the only one in the room that's wondered that before? Here's what I told him, and I hope it helps you out. When you think about it, and I'll give you an example, because this is one that I gave him. I said, I want you to imagine a child spilling Kool-Aid on a couch. I had to explain Kool-Aid. So it's a, it's a drink that stains, right? We leave it at that. It's all over the couch. And for some reason or another, you bought a white couch. Don't do that, but we're just telling stories now, right? You buy this beautiful, expensive white couch and you put your kid on it, or your kid just gets on it with Kool-Aid and they don't have the seal-proof sippy cup lid. Instead, it's and it goes all over the couch. Like, well, we have a problem. Now, your kid has made a mistake and your kid comes to you and says, I'm sorry. And of course, you are a loving parent. And what do you say in response to your child? I forgive you. I forgive you. I said, now here's the catch, Moshe. You still have the stain on the couch. So even though there has been this honest moment of confession and initial restoration, I'm sorry, I forgive you. You still have to take care of the Kool-Aid on the couch. And this is why we believe in the centrality of the cross is because I can go to Jesus and I can say, I've sinned a lot, and he'd say, yes, you have. Will you forgive me? And the answer, just like for the woman in this story, is yes, I will. But you still have to take the consequences of the choice into account as well. The Kool-Aid is still on the couch, but the wages of sin is death. And so you have to take the consequences of the choice and do something with those, just like you have to take the Kool-Aid on the couch and say the couch needs some cleaning. You still have to do it. And so if the wages of sin is death, then death itself is what has to be looked at in the face and it has to be defeated. That's why we believe in the cross. It's not just that we need forgiveness, it's that we need the consequences of sin to be addressed as well. So when scripture says the wages or the cost of sin is death, then we've gotta deal with it. Now I love this, prom this promise in Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's just today, now you know why he did. And that was the story that I told Moshe. The other thing that I told him was, I said, the idea of a sacrifice isn't that foreign to you. I said, after all, if you look into the Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament, there were sacrifices being made even there. Why is it? It's for the same reason that sometimes you gotta deal with the stain on the couch. So I want to give you some time this morning because for some of us, I'm gonna be honest with you, the, the story here isn't, does God love me? God, God loves you. 
And greater love has no man than this, than he would lay his life down for his brother. Jesus laid his life down for you. Uh, that, that's, that's been there. That's, that's been there every moment of your waking life. That has been there for you. The only question, it's not a matter of does Jesus love me? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Most of the story that we're dealing with is an unrequited love, which means it's a love that's been offered on his part and that we've spurned it in response. And some of you know what that's like because you asked a girl out and she said thanks, but no. Well, the second that you did that, you didn't get the relationship. And it's actually no different when you talk about your relationship with Jesus. How much does he love you? He loves you enough to deal with the Kool-Aid on the couch. Not just to offer you the forgiveness of sins, but to undo the effect of what you brought on yourself when you said sin is the way I wanna go. Now that, my friends, is love on another level. That is love on another level. And it's love for you. The question is, will you receive it? We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.